Hello, and welcome back to Life Without Limits, Planning with the PA Family Network. I'm Courtney Miles, and today I'm joined by Francine Hogan, Director of the PA Family Network, and Manager Diana Smaglick. Welcome. Hi, Courtney. Thanks. Hi, Courtney. So, so we've been talking about emergency preparedness for a few weeks now, but but let's let's get into that. What what is emergency preparedness specifically as it affects those with disabilities? Well, it, you know, we hear. I think it's kind of become a buzzword, right, over the years, especially post nine eleven, um, to be prepared for emergencies and have you know. Um, plans and 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 things that we know we need to do, but we have rarely included people with disabilities in those conversations. Um, and that's really um, the elephant in the room because people with disabilities um, are in our in our communities and they're where we work and they're in our schools and they're a part of you know our are the fabric of of um, our life. So we really have to um, look at emergency plans and making plans and make sure that we're um, including people with disabilities and their families in those plans and considering um, their needs um, that are uh, different, uh, sometimes above and beyond the needs of uh, people without disabilities, but sometimes they're just different. Right. And that's not bad. It's just different. Um, so that's why we really want to bring as much attention to it as possible um, so that we can raise awareness and that, uh, you know, when when first responders and employers and schools and, um, you know, emergency management agencies and Red Crosses are planning and when they think they've got it all figured out. <laughs> <laughs> then we want them to think about people with disabilities. Now, we really, you know, we we don't want this to throw a wrench, right, Diana? We don't, we don't, Diana and I have walked into lots of meetings where, right, there's a group of people that do this for a living and have decades of experience. And then we walk in and we say, have you thought about people with disabilities? Have you thought about, you know, um, accessibility, if you thought about, you know, if you're transporting uh, a large group of people from a, you know, from a mall, from a, that where there was a public emergency, have you considered people that are, may have mobility issues? Have you thought about people that may not be able to communicate in a way that you can understand? Um, and, you know, we've just sought out to make that uh, to to make those questions happen up front instead of as uh, an afterthought. Absolutely. And, and what I've found concerning in some of our past dealings um, in those situations has been that, that they, the folks involved were very sincere in their mm -hmm. efforts to include people um, in their planning that maybe used a wheelchair or, or people that they considered um, to have disabilities, but what they didn't do was involve people with disabilities in the planning. They didn't involve those families and those individuals in the early planning stages to say, what is it you would need to be able to evacuate this building? Or what is it that you would need to be comfortable 
and safe in this shelter? Or what is it that you would need to be understood in this emergency situation? And they were not clear um, on those needs when they put the plan together. And that became um, the crux of the matter, essentially, when the plan was put together. And we were, you know, surprised by the fact that when we got there, um, we had to say there there's issues there. There's a problem with this or there's a problem with that. And and how can we take a step back and add a voice to this that's going to redirect, recreate this part of the plan so that everyone can be safe ultimately in the planning for this process? Yeah. One of the focuses now in Pennsylvania is um, employment and, you know, part and and that's great. But this is a huge piece of that because um, we have to get we have to start getting employers um, who have emergency plans in place to look at their plans and see if um, people with disabilities uh, are are considered and are part of the conversation um, because they they deserve the same, right? The same level of safety and the same consideration as anybody else that's working at ABC company. Um, and people that are, you know, maybe testing out jobs uh, and may temporarily be at the CVS or, you know, uh, uh, some other uh, retail location who has an emergency plan, but, what they didn't plan for was that there may be this couple of weeks where there's somebody, you know, testing out a job that has a disability and isn't, uh, may not uh, be able to evacuate in the same way other people can, uh, or that they may have a job coach with them and there may be two extra people and not just one, right? So in everything that we do, we have to, this has to be part of our thinking. And really all it takes, right, is not knowing all of it. Um, I think Diana would agree. It's not about knowing of all these considerations. It's just about having a person with a disability and, f- and family members at the table when you're planning. And you bring up a really great point, too, that, um, you know, there's responsibility on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that over the years, um, you and I have been doing this longer than um, I really would like to talk about, but it's been a passion of ours for quite some time. But I think we've always emphasized the fact that that there's responsibility on both sides. It's really important for the first responders and the emergency management folks and everybody else involved to make sure that they include people with disabilities in their plans and that their plans, you know, include appropriate evacuation routes and, and appropriate equipment, et cetera. But it's really important for families and those living with a disability to have their own personal plan in place, to have a one-page profile that is in place that says, this is what I need to to be able to be supported Mm -hmm. in this environment or this kind of emergency. Um, This is how, you know, if you have to get my medications refilled, this is what needs to happen. If, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have to uh, feed me, because I'm unable to feed myself. This is the kind of equipment that's going to be needed. If you have to replace the battery on my scooter, this is the kind of battery that's needed. You have to have these pieces in place for those big emergencies. 
And you also need to have something in place, some sort of safety plan in place. It's a family and and personal responsibility Mm -hmm. to have a plan in place for those smaller emergencies. When you meet a new doctor, um, you know, I consider that a personal emergency. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes, um, you know, meeting a new doctor can be scary if you have a lot of health problems or, um, you know, you have a disability because sometimes it's, it's really hard to go back over all that personal stuff and to know that at some point you're going to be in crisis and you're going to need that physician to be there for you. So you're going to need that information shared with them as well. So having that personal safety plan in place is, is really important. And that's part of emergency preparedness. So well, I think it goes both ways. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that the big thing that we've tried to always um, uh, highlight is to be known. That's mm-hmm. our responsibility as family members and people with disabilities. It's our responsibility to be known because nobody is going to be able to help us. Nobody's going to be able to help self-advocates and people with disabilities if they don't know where they are and what their needs are. So being known is probably the, the most important thing that any individual can do. Um, it's really important um, to, you know, for us as a family to be known to our first responders. It's it's important for them to know that um, some of my windows um, aren't gonna break very easily because they're not glass because my son puts his head through windows as one of his uh, favorite uh, behaviors. And um, that could be, you know, a fireman that comes to my house in an emergency uh, may end up being knocked out if they try to break a window uh, with the wrong equipment because I didn't tell them. And that's on me. Um, You know, it's up to the it's up to me to make sure first responders know that my son is a wanderer and is um, and is prone to elopement. Um, So everybody. I think, in, you know, right, that's the definition of community, right? Everybody bears some responsibility. Um, and I think that we just have to remind ourselves because we're, you know, families kind of overwhelmed with lots of different things we have to do um, when, you know, we just live sort of a different life when we have a loved one with a disability and it just might not be first on our mind, but it's really, really important. Uh, just to be known. And I think that the more we're known, the more people that are known, the more communities are alerted and communities get to know us and our loved ones, the more we will uh, become part of the conversation naturally. And we won't have to, right, be out here raising awareness um, that, you know, will be on people's minds uh, as part of everyday life as it should be right as it should be yeah so, so you can tell we've I, been doing this for a long time we've, I, I <laughs> we've was definitely say, got some opinions <laughs> absolutely so i i think we want do want to let people know that there is an opportunity for uh folks to hear some of this firsthand um In March, we have the five summits um, that will be live and in person. 
um, that will talk about emergency preparedness and give them an opportunity to hear firsthand from first responders. So mm -hmm. that can involve some emergency preparedness and planning and things that they may not have considered before from resources in their own communities yeah. and in their own regions. So, you know, emergency prep, this, this particular topic is part of our community engagement um, project. So, uh, you know, the, what, why this all came up, uh, um, about is COVID-19. Um, you know, that's how we ended up in this space where the Office of Developmental Programs asked us to, you know, address issues that, um, you know, really became more apparent after, um, a, you know, two years of very unexpected um, events and, you know, really looking at how to re-engage in the community post um, COVID-19, or I'm not even sure we can say post-COVID-19, but, you know, here we are on the other end of, I guess, the worst part of it. Uh, and emergency preparedness was one of those topics. And, you know, I think that that pandemic just proved to all of us that we're really not prepared. Um, you know, we, I think, I think in March of 2020, most people thought this can't happen to me. And this isn't going to happen to us. I mean, I remember hearing about it and, and, you know, I, Diana and I've been on this emergency prep thing for, you know, a decade and Diana longer, I think. And I remember saying to my husband, they're going to get a hold of this before it, it impacts. It's not going to happen. You know, like this isn't going to happen. And it happened. And I was like, wow. Okay. Well, that redefined my uh, idea of of um, our security and our safety. So a lot of people were put into a situation where they were unexpected caregivers. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were put into emergency hospital situations um, where either um, a parent or a caregiver wasn't available because they were hospitalized. So a person with a disability um, was left with um, you know, with needing a different plan. So they needed a different kind of emergency plan, right? And then you've got, you know, a caregiver that's hospitalized that needs their kind of emergency plan. And I think now we have to look at it and think, okay, so what are the things that happened to us? Um, we had, you know, I was a self-advocate and, and I had people that weren't really used to supporting me. And, and how can I better pre be prepared for that? And, you know, I'm a caregiver and I, I wasn't prepared to help and support someone else to support my loved one. And how can I prepare for that? And, you know, I hospital staff and, and ambulance staff and, you know, EMS are first, all first responders, physicians and nurses are first responders. Um, they have to be part of this plan. When we talk about first responders and being known. Like, okay, well, maybe it would be better if the hospital staff at our local hospital knew us also, because if this happens again, and there's a situation where there's a question whether more than one person or a support person can come in to a hospital during a pandemic, um, they already know our needs. They already know that, you know, I'm a self-advocate or I'm a family member that has a loved one that needs a support person with them at all times. 
for safety purposes, for communication purposes, you know, for behavior. There's, you know, all sorts of reasons. And they already know that um, that's our situation. And we don't have to jump through hoops getting proof that that's our situation and going to administration with that proof that we're, you know, we're a caregiver or we're a person that needs a caregiver. So part of that plan also has to be to remember that ambulance staff, hospital staff, doctors, nurses are part of those first responders and they, we should be known to them. Um, and that there may again be a situation where uh, we're in a pandemic and there's a question as to how many people can go into that ER and if a person can go in with support and we need to be able to plan for that and we need to be prepared for that and not be in that situation again. Um, so it's, I think what COVID-19 taught us was that it's, there's a really bigger picture than we even thought. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I don't, I don't think we ever imagined having to prepare for dropping our loved one off in an ER who's never ever lived without support um, or who can't communicate in a way that other people understand um, or even communicate in a different language. You know, Um, I don't think that that was part of any of our plans. And I think that we really, you know, Diana talked about the one page profile. We've had workshops on it. You know, we're going to have more information on it. Like that is part of that plan. That has to be part of that plan to be able to pass on to an unexpected caregiver information about yourself, your family, your loved one, you know, uh, and for a a hospital situation, an ambulance, any emergency, an ambulance, fire, police, they're all emergency, the hospital, they're all emergency. And to be able to, like Diana said, communicate information, valuable information about a person. Um. We had one, uh, you know, I'll I'll tell you quick. I know it was a call I got in the middle of the night early in the pandemic um, from a family that wasn't allowed into a hospital with their loved one. And we were working all night with administration and trying to get the family in. And um, they thought he was completely fine and communicating because everything they asked him um, he said, uh, if he's okay, if he, you know, um, if he's comfortable, if, you know, he kept saying yes. And they, nobody knew that was the only word he knew in English. The family's first language was Italian. And they said, he's, you know, see, he says, yes, he's fine. Don't worry. He's Mom, responding. He's responding. He's fine. Mm-hmm. He's ha- he seems happy. He says, yes. You know, we've asked him if he's comfortable. He said, yes. We've asked him if he's happy. He says, yes. You know, my son could be throwing up. And if you ask him if he's okay, he says, yes. Right. Um, So it's just, you know, just that a piece of paper that explains somebody's basic needs. Right. So anyway, but I I think that's what the, that's what COVID-19 did to us. That was, um, that, you know, definitely has to be put on the, the list. We always said it, Diana and I always said, it's not a pos. it's not, you know, if it's going to happen, it's when. But I got to say, when it happened, I was in complete disbelief. Mm. You know. You just don't watch the right movies. I don't. 
I don't. I do not. Yes. And, and that's I for do, a reason. <laughs> I do think COVID-19 really, really shook up a lot of families. It really changed a lot of family dynamics. Mm -hmm. um, and we hear it every day. And I do think it's, it's time for a lot of people to step up and look at those personal safety plans to look at what they need to do to prepare for an emergency on any level, whether it's a car accident um, and they need to be prepared for, you know, what happens if they, if, if they're knocked unconscious and their loved one is, is in the vehicle, mm -hmm. they need to be prepared. If their loved one elopes, they need to be prepared for, you know, if, if they're walking down the street and they have a heart attack and, and their loved one is there, what are they going to yeah. do? There needs to be preparation for those day-to-day -day emergencies as well as those pandemics. We just and, need to be prepared. You know what, Diana, I don't want to interrupt, but I'm going to, because I think one of the things that we've always said, we haven't said, and I don't want it to get past us. We have a lot, and we can say this because we're family members. Um, you know, I'm a mom to a 23 year old and Diana's mom to what, 36? Is he 36 or 36? 36, 36, 36. Yeah, right? And we have uh, we have had over the last decade, many, many, many family members say to us, oh, but my loved one is never alone. Mm -hmm. We're we're OK. Like, worry about this. And we are both here to tell you with kids who we could say are never alone. Right. Because they they have that Ever. kind of uh, kind, that kind of support. But you never know when a caregiver is going to be um, unavailable, injured in a car accident, like Diana said, injured in a car accident, in a medical emergency, you're separated. Um, you The plan has to be in place because saying it's okay, my loved one's never alone is not enough. It's um, not a plan. It's not a plan. Um, it is not a plan. If if I'm out with Michael, he has to have the right ID. He has to have the right diagnosis card on him and understand how to present it. People have to understand that he cannot be left alone. If he and I were to be in a car accident and I and I could not speak uh, on his behalf, it would be very easy for a first responder to look at him and be like, wow, here's a 23 year old guy. Looks great. Doesn't, you know. Can't tell anything, can't tell he has a disability. Michael has an invisible disability, his ID and autism. And it would be very easy for them to very quickly and without, with good intentions, but very quickly and without much follow-up or time say, here you go, sit here and don't move on the side of the road. Michael wouldn't be gone. He would either, two things would happen. He would either elope um, hopefully in out of not not into traffic, but he very likely could elope right into traffic. So, um, we that like that's why we have to be prepared. That's why we talk about yellow dot. That's why we talk about um, diagnosis cards and ID and um, uh, you know, there's very there's very much two schools of thought in disclosure. And I respect that and I understand it. But when you're talking about an emergency situation, I think that um, disclosure is one of the most important things that a person could do is to be able to say either with a, with a card 
or with their words or with a device that, you know, I have autism or I have ID and um, you, I cannot be left alone. Right. That's how it impacts him. Right. So for Michael, he has autism and he is he's he's um, he elopes and he can't be left alone. Right. So his diagnosis, how it impacts him and what he needs to stay safe and healthy. Um, it's no different than any of us. It's no different than somebody saying. I have diabetes. Right. It's no different than somebody saying I have, you know, I have. Uh, I, I, I have somebody at home that needs me. Right. And I need you to, to contact them. I, I have a, I have somebody at home that needs care and I need you to get somebody to care for them. It's no different. It's saying what you need at that time and how somebody else can help you. Mm-hmm. No different. I have, you know, I have ID and, or I have autism or I have diabetes or I have somebody that depends on me. It doesn't matter. It's all about disclosing what you need so that other people can help you in a way that will keep you healthy and safe and people that depend on you healthy and safe. Right. And we're, and it's, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Right. Um, and we're not, and we're not saying, you know, shout it from the rooftops, no. but we're saying this is an appropriate time and place. Right. So I, and, I think it's very important to use yeah. that. Right. That is great self-advocacy skill. Yep. It is well a great self-advocacy skill. skill. In order to keep yourself healthy and safe, the first thing you need to learn is self-advocacy skills. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably the most important life skill that you can learn. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly people have, you know, can choose what they disclose and when they disclose it. But this would be a really good time. To, to be open about it. Um, so, and, and this is some of the things that we're going to cover um, in March. Um, I wish I could rattle off all the dates, but I can't. Um, there will be five summits in March. Um, like Diana said earlier, they will be in Philadelphia uh, and in Wilkes-Barre, PA and uh, York State College and Cranberry. So there'll be five across the Commonwealth um, they will all uh, mimic one another. The, the agenda is the exact same for all five locations. The speakers and presenters will be different. The speakers and presenters will be uh, local to that area, um, mostly because we want first responders and we want people that are talking about emergency prep to be familiar with uh, the local area to be familiar with a, you know, a suburban area that they may be in or an urban area, right. Or, or a rural area. It's really important because we're not going to talk about the same kinds of things in, you know, state college that we're going to talk about in Philadelphia because there's different, right. It's just different. So the, the speakers will be different. The speakers will be local to the, to the area, to that region, but the agenda is the same across the state. So everybody's getting the same, uh, the same information. Um, and we've got, um, if it wasn't a podcast, we'd show you this picture of this really awesome uh, to-go bag that everybody that's eligible is going to receive. Um, it's worth over $100. It's got, uh, it is just packed with so many things that you need, whether you are evacuating in a uh, emergency or you're sheltering in place. 
in an emergency, which happens much more often than we think. Um, everybody that attends is going to get a 146-page safety guide. Uh, it has um, lots of safety skills that we need, whether you're a child or adult, whether you have a disability or not, and how to um, strategies to teach those skills. Um, and frankly, um, I, <laughs> I don't think Diana had seen this yet. There's skills in there that her and I haven't thought of yet. <laughs> And, and we've thought of a lot of emergency skills. Um, so, and we'll be celebrating birthdays. Um, so if anybody uh, has, a, has a birthday they want to celebrate, it doesn't matter if it's in March, um, we will be um, celebrating them at lunchtime. And um, we want to know, it's in the registration. If you have um, somebody that wants to celebrate a birthday, you can, you can put it right in there. Um, I'm going to let, I'm going to let uh, Courtney give the, the exact place that you can find the summits because she knows it. Um, but, you know, you really can find all the information if you go to visionforequality.org. So it's vision, F-O-R, equality.org, and go to the PA Family Network, and um, you can find out about our community engagement, our workshops, and our summits. Courtney has the exact address that you can go to. Um, but certainly we want, we want self-advocates and families at these summits. We want, this is for everybody. The content is being developed so that it, it's accessible to everyone. This, um, the most important part of this is that um, families are getting this information as a whole, and that includes a person with a disability and self-advocates that are out there living on your own or with friends or with, you know, life sharing or supported living. We want, we want you to come out and get this information, get the, the, the safety information, get the to-go bag. Um, so everyone's welcome. Support staff is also welcome. If you have a loved one that has a DSP or an SSP that supports them um, at home and in the community, bring them. Um, they, you know, they should, they can, it's great for them to hear the information, but even on top of that, if they have to support a person and a person needs that support, they should be able to, um, to bring them to this event. So they are free as well as, you know, families and self-advocates are free. Um, and we'll have breakfast and lunch together and lots of great information in between. So and resources, you forgot resources. resources. Yes. Yeah. We're going to have a nice big resource area that is um, focused on supports and not on providers. We, we want this to really be about organizations and, and uh, people that are out there that support us as families and self-advocates. Um, so, and we're going to have a tech lab where you can go in and touch and feel and play with technology equipment and a wellness uh, lounge where you can go in and learn about uh, things that help you, um, you know, build resiliency through wellness. And um, uh, you probably find Diana and, and, and I in there doing our breathing exercises probably <laughs> when this all happens and we realize that we pulled this off. So, <laughs> so yeah, anyway, it, I think it's so difficult. Much. Absolutely. I think it's difficult to to cover everything that's going to be at the summit because yeah. there is going to be so much. So 
So to find more information about it, to, to see the agenda, to see that amazing bag that Francine mentioned, um, you can visit us at pafamilynetwork.org slash March Summits, and you can register right there as well. Perfect. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, guys. And we look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you for joining us for the Life Without Limits podcast, Planning with the PA Family Network. We hope that you'll join us again to hear from more individuals. If you'd like to get in contact with us, we can be reached at 1-844-PA-FAMILY or on the web at visionforequality.org.